Hello, everyone. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we will be discussing the 2020 DC EU film Wonder Woman 1984. And this is a sequel to Wonder Woman as well as the Justice League movies. I guess it's a technically a prequel to the Justice League movie and Batman vs Superman movie, but this is a much anticipated follow up to the hit 2017 film Wonder Woman, uh, which made over $821 million in the box office, and it was made for $150. Uh, but quickly, sorry, bringing it back to Wonder Woman 84, um, made for a budget of $200 million. It's made $85 million in the box office. Looks like that's mostly uh, foreign. Uh, and the big story behind this film, and Seth and I mentioned on some of the previous podcasts, was that it was initially supposed to come out last November, was pushed to June. Um, they said just to capitalize on the box office. That was also after a couple of their films underperformed. Um, the non-Joker DCEU films underperformed, and it seemed like they wanted to recoup some of the money by having sending the Wonder Woman film, which is their best franchise, from into the more profitable summertime. This was the film that also was the first WB film that was announced was going right to home or DVD through HBO Max. And then that precipitated the over, the larger decision to send all their 2021 films to HBO Max. Okay, and that was a lot. And the last thing I'll say is for Wonder Woman 1984, it has a rating of 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a user score of about 72%. Not that Rotten Tomatoes is the Bible or anything, but it usually gives a pretty good indication. All right, that was a lot about Wonder Woman 1984. Seth, throwing it to you. <laughs> uh, Yeah. I th- you know, this was interesting, I think, just movie business-wise, that they released this on HBO Max. You know, you listed the, the box office numbers there, and it still just seems to me like if you had delayed this a year and released it, uh, when people could fully go to the theaters, you'd easily crack, you know, 250, 300 million on your opening weekend. So I'm still trying to kind of figure out the business end of it. Um, as a movie... It was a little, I just, I found it odd, kind of. Um, and the reaction uh, online was, like, pretty extreme to this movie, which I was, like, kind of baffled by. Some people really, really disliked this movie. Like, on, I've read takes that people think this is, like, the worst comic book movie ever made kind of stuff. And then I read people that I really love the movie. And there's not a lot of, like, middle ground for some reason. Um I actually kind of found myself in that. I didn't think it was the like worst movie ever. I kind of thought it was better than Justice League and Batman vs Superman and uh, you know some of the with the recent DC stuff. But I didn't think it was like some great movie or anything. You know, it's not like I think a lot of the Marvel movies are still better. Uh, uh, but it, I mean, for me, it wasn't like a life or death. You know, it was just like, hey, this is some popcorn stuff to watch with my wife, uh, and it was pretty easy. I would say it's a little bit long. Uh, the action sequences. Um, are just done differently than other superhero action sequences, I want to say. And um, I don't know. The, some of the humor in it was a little cheesy. Some of the 80s stuff, that it felt like they were kind of doing 80s stuff for part of the movie and not the rest of the movie. And so I get, you know, I get deducting points for, for that kind of stuff. But it's like some of the crazy takes that this is like the worst movie ever, I didn't quite understand. Wait, I'm, uh, so I haven't dug, surprisingly, I haven't dove as deep into the fandom. I... I knew just from the hype machine that there's always a bunch of articles for all movies but especially wbdc movies they do a great job of releasing like reactions not and not ratings like they'll show yeah, usually screen movies to fans and not uh critics first and so what that it generates 
and also through their well-paid advertisers, PR companies, it generates a lot of word of mouth of these films being great. So I've become numb to the hype going into these DC EU movies. Um, I didn't realize, and just looking at the reviews, I could tell there's some disappointment. I haven't heard all the worst film ever. The, <laughs> the one thing I will say is I think the culture needs to do a better job of discerning from like what's real what's like real fandom and what's the internet troll culture and i know that's really hard to determine and not that i know but one of the things like i'll say like just that right there i've seen this movie i've seen a ton of comic book movies this isn't even the worst dc movie this isn't the worst dc movie to come out in the last five years and so to hear that it's for me i immediately take that anyone who's going to say that I don't think anyone's actually saying that. I think those are either people who are saying that to generate clickbait or it's being perpetuated by Russian trolls or troll bots. Like, I, so th- that's kind of where I come on down on that. But the one thing I will say is if, like you, so I talked about the first Wonder Woman a little bit and we're going to unpack everything. But the first thing is the, that the first Wonder Woman movie was made for 150 million uh, and it made 820 million. So that made more than five times its budget it crushed it. it. It was really well received critically, and it was considered. It's still considered probably the DC EU's strongest brand, maybe with the exception yeah. of Aquaman. Um, but there's a lot going on for for it. And just talking about the economics, so this movie was made for 200 million, and it's already made 85 in a limited release. And you and I were talking about this. Let's say it made half of 821 million. Yeah. E- even. I mean, I guess that would make it 410, 410 million against a $200 million budget. But even, wouldn't that be better than a loss? Like you're, you're taking a loss no matter what. I just don't, and again, I don't know. We don't see the numbers. I'm sure there's some economics behind it. They're trying to compete with, with Netflix. So we're, maybe we're looking at the wrong numbers. It's all about subscriptions for them. Who knows? Right. But, but I, it seems a little bit like they're playing four-dimensional chess or three-dimensional chess when they don't need to be. Uh, yeah, make movies sell movies <laughs> yeah it's not i mean i i'm assuming they're gonna save other movies for release maybe this they were kind of like okay we could grab the spotlight right now maybe the producers thought it wasn't going to be as big a hit at the box office and so it's like we can grab the spotlight of current time right now and get more subscriptions i gotta think that's what they're thinking but still it's just like when you talk about an 85 million dollar opening weekend for this kind of movie and you know it yeah like you said wonder woman one you know, close to 800 million. It's just like, even if you do half that, uh, it's just a ton of money. And it's like, that's a ton of money you can put toward other movies and continue to prosper and stuff. It's it's just, it's a little puzzling to me business-wise as a whole. But, (laughs) you know, it's like, I got, you know, if they think they're stealing subscriptions from other streaming services and they're building their own brand, uh, maybe it is worth it. Maybe that is worth the $300 $300 million or something. One thing we haven't really considered too, which we probably should, is that the Joker was made for like $30 million and made over a billion. So they, they could have more, yeah. they could have a little more rope or a little more cushion than we realize. And so maybe it is True. a really smart decision. Um, but so yeah, definitely interested there. The one thing I will say, I do want to talk about like my expectations. So again, I don't think Rotten Tomatoes is the end-all be-all. And much like Yelp reviews, I think for films, you can remove anything that says it's the best or the worst, just remove that. Like, <laughs> like uh, it's not true. So just yeah. remove those spectrums and then focus on the, that 
whatever meme. What, what's coming up most common? What's the most? What are the most common things people you said? So that's why I like Rotten Tomatoes. I think is a really good gauge. I, I don't think again it's not gospel, but I think it's a really good gauge to determine like excitement behind movies. So in the first film, it was like a ninety-two percent uh, loved by the critics and like in the eighties by the fans. And this film was sixty percent of the critics and loved by seventy-two percent of the fans. So basically, there were drops in both sides, and that's the thing with the box office. I'm a big fan of box office. Really, I mean, that's how you measure the success of a movie. Did it find an audience? Did the people come back to it? Yep. So I, for this movie, I, I feel, almost feel like it's incomplete because coming out of this movie, going into this movie, my expectations, were, I throttled them down because, as I said, this movie is supposed to come out last winter, and it didn't. And they positioned it as trying to make more money in the summer, like I said, but it, that doesn't make sense to me. You don't release a tentpole movie. This was going to be their big tentpole movie in the holidays, which is another huge spend. And some of the reason was that they needed to work more on it. They wanted to do CGI. There are a ton of reasons that could have gone into it. So, And only, only one of them was good, and the rest of them would be bad. And then when they released, this was the first one they announced they were releasing straight to home video straight to home video or streaming it just made me question why this film if this is their tentpole film of the next year or two i think the, the next aquaman's not coming out for a while so this is the biggest dc film they have coming out in the near future and i just was very surprised and so going into this film i was i didn't expect it to surpass the first wonder woman i just didn't given everything that was going on behind it and I'll have some other reasons why we'll get into later about what I didn't like about the film and I kind of saw coming. But this film, to borrow the Dennis Green phase, this film is what I thought it was. It was like, <laughs> it is, for DC films, it's it's not among the worst. It's not reaching the heights for me, which is really, I mean, it's hard. It's really, it's really Wonder Woman and... Birds of Prey, I guess, or Shazam. Like that, I'm trying to create my list for this. So it, it, it falls in the middle of the pack. I think it's a good entry into DC films. Um, in terms of the comic book spectrum, I think I appreciate what it's trying to do, but I, th I think there were some strategic issues with the way they went about plotting this film. I'm sorry, I'm going on really long here. What I'm trying to say is I love the first film and I came in with lower expectations and this film met my lower expectations. So, like, I'm coming away satisfied, but at the same time, just kind of disappointed. And Yeah, I think that's the most, com like you said, that's the most common uh, sort of outlook on this, is that it's, like, kind of a letdown from the first one. Doesn't movie ever, but it's, like, people do seem to be let down or, or hold the first one in higher regard still. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was... The, the Pedro Pascal uh, character, Maxwell Lord. I mean, I'm not going to say he was miscast because I actually thought he pulled it off, but I just thought he was weird. He looked weird the whole time. I could have imagined like five or six other actors that didn't have to do as much makeup as him, like doing that part. I just, the whole thing was a little odd to me. What was your take on him? So I'm glad you. You touched on one of the first things. One of the many issues I had with this film, coming away from it, was 
my question going into it was what is this magic power what's the force behind what what's the tension like what is working yeah. against diana in the first movie it's aries and it appears to be some magic stone in this one and that's literally the bad guy of the film is this magic stone that grants wishes and so but before going that pedro pascal finds this stone and for some reason wishes to become the stone a dream that was, stone. i didn't know you could do that yeah <laughs> i still don't understand what benefit he got from that and it seems to be they portray it in as this thing that's killing him but also giving him more power and they're tr- tr- pretty doing a kind of pretty bad job of they're trying to depict what in my opinion or portray uh, addiction it yeah. is and I, I think it's handed handed a little clumsily and there was that i also thought there was some sort of weird 80s capitalist metaphor going on with him where it's like get whatever you want by whatever means possible and that was like the reagan 80s like i thought there was some kind of thing about that going on too definitely i mean there is i think they're playing into that there's definitely yeah. some trump elements i feel to to the character um not that we need to get into politics but the, there is a lot going on with the character but it was also so underdeveloped and then they kind of shoehorn the the son character into the film to make to humanize him yet you never see the wife which i thought was really weird like how do you not meet the wife i thought they were divorced are they not divorced because they would be like it's your weekend so it's like no yes but how do we not meet her i don't know i mean mean, it did occur to me early on actually that that kid was going to be the way she like got to defeat him or whatever you know i didn't quite know how it was all gonna play out but it, it i i recognized that kid as like a screenwriter's plant pretty early <laughs> so i guess we're, we're, we, I, we we i went a little deep i like pedro pascal and i think he's doing the best job with what he has i think he's chewing up the screen and overacting yeah. and he's going really big because this character is written like a cartoon character and that <laughs> and i'm not saying a comic book character I'm saying a cartoon character. Car- uh, cartoon ca- comic book characters, I think, can be deep. Ca- cartoon characters need to be really shallow because they're telling a 30-minute self-contained story each week. And for me, he was just so vanilla. Like, to me, he was just checking all the boxes. And that was a, a lot of this story felt like they were just trying to check boxes. Um, yeah. So for Instead guess, of, like, actually, like, try to do something. Yeah, you're right. It just felt like they were, like, check off our boxes and move on. So... We're, I feel like we kind of started off with some of the things we didn't like. There, I have a question for you. What did you think about the Kirsten Wig um, cheetah character? <laughs> it was, um, I want to, you know, I wanted to like Kristen Wig more, I guess, when I was watching the movie. And I kept trying to be like, oh, she's back on the screen. Like, I want to like this. But it wasn't quite clicking for me and then when she turns evil i found her less believable and less intimidating kind of and i'm not really sure she had that switch to kind of like you know pull the sharon stone and total recall or whatever you know what i mean where it's like you kind of have to do this thing um where you become very intimidating i think and i'm not sure she really got there for me it seemed like you know she started wearing some designer clothes i wasn't totally sure about how like she started to look beautiful, but then she turns into a cheetah. And I was like, I'm not sure that was your end game. <laughs> I thought you wanted to be like, she's because her wish was like, I want to be like, uh, uh, what's her wonder woman. Right. I mean, she was like, I want to be like Diana. That's so I didn't understand said. why she turned into a full on cheetah. 
Yeah, that was what she said at first. So <laughs> I, I had a couple problems with it. This is, I'm trying, I still haven't released her eight millimeter because I sounded like such a monster. So I'm going to try and be very careful here with what I say. Um, Kristen Wiig, I, I love her. I really do. I think she's a great actress. She feels like a miscast here for a number of reasons. The first being, she, she's supposed to be playing this young, I'm assuming this young, impressionable, smart gemologist, Barbara Ann Minerva. And I'm not trying to be mean here. Kristen Wiig is 47 today. She was 45 when this movie was made. That's not, I'm not trying to be an ageist, but that's not like that character. That's like a fully baked character. That's a fully baked person. There's yeah. not, and I, I just, I, it just feels a little bit, not a little bit. It just, I, it, it feels like a mistake. And it just, I don't think she's the right person for the role. And not I know only, the, the producers had wanted Emma Stone. I was going to say Emma Stone would be more perfect. So this is the other thing. She's 12 years older than Gal Gadot. And, and yeah. not that they don't have, not that they have bad chemistry, but this is the other thing. Okay. This is going to be really me. Kristen Wiig is beautiful. And I'm not, this is not me denigrating her looks. Agreed. Gal Gadot is stunning. And yes. <laughs> one of the general things is just from a sheer aesthetic point of view, and if you're trying to tell a story through images, you should have, Cheetah is supposed to be a rival to Wonder Woman. She should be, then she should be a rival in all things, including the looks department. And I'm right. sorry, even with this, she straightened her hair and put on a black dress. Yeah, Kristen Wiig looked better without the perm and in a nice black dress, but she wasn't all of a sudden as good looking as Gal Gadot. And the other thing is the whole relationship between them was underdeveloped. It's, Oh, hey, we both work here. Do you want to be friends? No, I don't want to be friends. Oh, this magic gem's here. Okay, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman does want to be friends with you now. And then within like 20 minutes, the story's taking on. And so they're never really friends. That's right? true. It was never clear to me how genuine the friendship was. And it, like at parts of the movie, it seemed like she was like, Wonder Woman was really trying to pull at that. But then it's like, you're right. The whole basis of the friendship was that you wanted something from her. And so it's like, the whole thing, yeah, you're right. The whole thing was just kind of undercooked. <laughs> well, and then that was what I didn't understand. So then at the end, I was like, well, this is where she's going to call her out. When Wonder Woman calls out for their friendship, she's going to be like, well, we're not friends. You only were using me to get to the stone. And they don't do that. And um, you touched on how her transformation. I, one, I have two problems with that. Transformation isn't explained, nor is her reverse transformation explained. Two... <laughs> This is a movie that I think did a really good job with vivid colors. For its color palette was great. It's one of the things I think Marvel does well. I think DC has generally been too dark and bland. Yeah. I think this film did a good job with the visuals. But why do you make Cheetah, a creature that is known for gold and black color, it was gray. It was a gray and white modeled Cheetah. It just wasn't colorful. And it blend. It affected the action scene which took place in a gray, dark area. It just it didn't make sense to me. It, her transformation I, didn't yeah. make sense. It wasn't explained. And just be honest, like, it, Cheetah is supposed to be her... I'm not, a, I'm not as big an expert. My understanding is this is her Lex Luthor. This is her Joker. You really need to build that friendship, or at least you need to build her menace. And for me, 
again, like I'm gonna, I, I'm saying this as an insult for someone who loves cartoons and video games. She felt like a video game boss. It's like, oh, you need to get to the boss. Wait, first you need to beat Cheetah, and she's much stronger <laughs> than you think. And it's, it just yeah. felt, it felt contract is the only word I can think of. Yeah, it's like it seemed like the that climax fight scene. It should be these two people hitting the peak of their powers and the peak of their beauty kind of thing. Not and that's like that's not just like the male gaze talking. It just seemed like that's where the movie was headed. No, um, that, so, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. And you don't need to have yeah. Cheetah in the leather bikini. You can make her. You can give her a powerful, fierce suit too. But I agree entirely, and I don't think that makes. I, I don't think that's sexist. I think you're right. It's two women at the peak of their feminism power sexuality whatever you want to call it and it should be i think it could have been you have Diana incredibly Prince. cinematic if you think about it it's but it's instead you, you're right they went for this dark gray uh background and then they don't give you clear really clear looks at cheetah when she's full cheetah mode with the fur and everything that was very confused at that point where i was like why did she actually turn into it i was like i get the inspiration and the, the metaphor of it but uh the actual transformation didn't work for me i don't know if that actually happens in the comics or whatever but it's just like the way it was happening in the movie it seemed like she should stay in her human form and just become more and more uh sort of tempting and uh, salacious kind of but it, that wasn't the way they went <laughs> so it didn't make a ton of sense but it's like well not to rewrite it but like why wasn't if you want to create some tension why isn't there a love triangle between the revived Steve Trevor, which we're going to get into in a moment, and the Cheetah? Like, why wasn't Cheetah going after Steve Trevor? Like, there should have been some... Yeah. And that's one of the things... I, 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 I'm just going to say it. Hopefully, this doesn't sound like piggish as a white guy, as a dude saying this, but should there not have been some sexual rivalry? Like, is this not... It, is that oh, not that's a huge, an interesting idea. Is that yeah, not a true. huge issue amongst girls and girlfriends? Like when two girls have the same crush on the same guy? I will say that if that guy comes back from the dead and gets, starts to have a wandering eye, I mean, that's quite a dude. <laughs> I think there's a way you can play it where he comes back and maybe he's confused and he only half remembers Diana yeah, and yeah. he's not sure what's going on. Um, and then also the whole thing of it could be Cheetah seducing him, like trying to turn her against. Okay. Yeah. We now, we... So the other, yeah, I was gonna say the Chris Pine part of this movie. I know that there was like Patty Jenkins. You know, they were trying to pressure her to cut certain action scenes or something. But I actually found the boring part of this movie to be the whole reintroducing Chris Pine to the 1980s and all the cool 80s things we have. I just found that all that's the thing they try to develop more so than the Cheetah or the Pedro Pascal character. And it's like I didn't really care. And I cut, you know, it's like you kind of know Chris Pine's not gonna make it. <laughs> to the end of the movie um, but they spent a lot of time with him and diana just like building that relationship so it's funny I, I i both like that part of the movie and i dislike it so i thought some of the best some of the lightest parts of the film in terms of being breezy and having fun watching it were his scenes and his fish out of water scenes yeah. and the chemistry between them but at the same time I realized almost immediately, I think I actually knew it during the trailers, that the recycling, the be, some of the best parts of this movie felt recycled from the first one. And that was their courtship, their fish out of water, except this time it's reversed. And right. it's their quirky, oh, they're going on adventures, and it's like this plucky, or it's, it feels all Yeah, like they're in the plane, and he's like, oh, you didn't tell me about radar, what the hell, Dana? You know, it's like, they kind of have these funny moments like that. So yeah, a little bit like moonlighting too. And it's just, yeah. it's, 
it worked, but I liked it better the first time. And then when I'm looking at this film, taking a step back from this film, I'm like, you're not giving me much else. So I, the Chris Pine character. And I that, mean, well, that was wasn't the other totally thing. needed. But that, that, that was what I come to. This movie felt like it was made by checking boxes. Like, so my understanding is this movie, Patty Jenkins had carte blanche. She was offered the reins to direct the next Justice League movie. Anything she wanted, she wanted to do Wonder Woman too. But this movie feels like it's so half baked. It feels like they were had to make a movie and then they were like, okay, let's get Chris Pine. We need to bring Chris Pine back. And then the whole movie is designed around creating a logic structure that justifies bringing him back and allowing him to leave within the same two and a half hour time frame. But right. at the same time, he doesn't show up till like an hour into the movie. This movie, it doesn't. He's, it's a, yeah, he's, it's a bit of a slog. I mean, it, it is easy and breezy for, for parts, but it's kind of a slog by the end of it. <laughs> so it's not depressing like any of the other DC, DCU films. And yeah. I do think it, it's trying to have a message, namely that you need to work for what you have. There's no such thing as the easy way out. And when you take the easy path, you're sacrificing something. That, right. Letting go of your deepest desires will unlock your... Exactly. Whatever. Exactly. And which I appreciate. But at the same time, there's another way to tell that story without bringing back a character to you who your point we know is not going to survive and the whole other thing is i didn't really consider this i kind of just glossed over it until i was reading articles get preparing someone made the very good point if the roles were reversed and if it was steve trevor sleeping with a woman who just thought she was gal gadot and not actually gal gadot yeah i hear that there, there are some very weird questions are raised and i just didn't understand why couldn't they just bring back steve trevor it's a magic stone just bring him back that's have true him yeah just like have him show up i don't know it, yeah, it's a magic stone <laughs> it's uh it, it's a bit much so we one thing i thought was funny the fifth build person on this cast is none other than the princess bride herself robin wright and i want to say she maybe had 30 seconds of hard staring at a child Okay, I am that so, was her role in the movie. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Looking at the sixth build is Connie Nielsen, who plays her mom. And right, they're, yeah. they're both not in the film after the first three minutes. That almost minutes. felt like that was shot in a different movie. And they were just like, hey, let's stick this on here at the beginning. So this is something we both, I think, alluded to. This occurred to me. And I think we're both kind of dancing around the same subject. The first one was made for between 120 and 150, depending on how, on how they file the taxes. And that the first one, I think you'll agree, you could see where that money went. There was the whole first yeah. act took place in this really lush, the mascara, the middle act was all these really cool World, World War One battle scenes. And the and, trenches were all the trenches were well done. All those sets were well done. Exactly. And I, some people don't like it. I liked the third act. Yeah, it was a little CGI-ish, but I thought they did a good job there. And it was there was tons of CGI in the third act, and you, you, you knew where the budget went. This movie cost $200 million to make. And to be honest, the well, first of all, we just, as we just said, the, a third of your top billed people didn't make it past the first 10 minutes. So that couldn't have, could have been too expensive. And the other part is there's really only the chase scene, uh, the car chase in the desert. That's the only CGI scene that really seemed expensive. The other, the fight 
at the end between her and Cheetah is pretty quick. Both Cheetah. There's, a, there's also the mall sequence uh, where she's like lassoing people in that mall and stuff. Yeah, but that shouldn't be that expensive. Like I'm saying, the yeah, other scenes yeah. that, that you're just that you have that took place in a mall and you're just CGI yeah. and her flying around and some guys. Like the only scene that really seemed expensive was that chase scene. So I think, and what we've kind of talked to the way this was cut, the way it's built. I feel like there is either a very different movie that was made two years ago and they had to recut it or, or there's just a lot of, it might be like the Batman versus Superman where there's an extra 20, 30 minutes on the cutting floor and not that it totally changes the movie, but it just helps reinforce some of the things we're talking about. Like, right. I would, yeah. My guess was that there was like another 10, 20 minutes of like scenes in Amazonia with Robin Wright, like talking to her daughter and like, well, you know, yeah, like you, like you said, reinforcing the true values of the Amazonians or something. And they realized like, hey, like this is our second movie. People get this already. We can probably cut this. But the action scene was probably too expensive and too... Honestly, it's probably the best action scene in the movie. I mean, uh, both me and my wife enjoyed that opening scene, but it just had nothing to do with anything else. <laughs> it, you, you find out, oh, there was a front there for magic gems. But then you never... This is my... Who was behind the front? Who had these gems? And then the, uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to get back to my big question is what was the hell was the dream stone? Okay. <laughs> okay. It's time to talk about the dream stone. Uh, this film's magical MacGuffin, which every comic book film seems to need these days. The Dreamstone, as explained in the film, it gives someone their deepest desire or wish, but it takes something in return, something that they don't realize that they're giving away. And it's explained through the monkey's paw, which is something most people have heard uh, that story. But my problem is, if you have to use another story to explain your plot, that just feels so lazy. And the, my other problem is, if you use the monkey's paw, just that reference to explain the mechanics of it, great. But we never find out, we never meet the god behind it. We never meet the trickster god. We don't yeah. really know what the plan is behind it. Why would he benefit from killing everyone? It just, it it was half-baked. And that was something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming back to. A lot of I, I think it's like, if you're back there in Amazonia, you got to have somebody talk about it or say something. Like, give me a plant back then as to, like, they know about it and they know how it was made or something. Like, that's when you give the backstory to it in the very beginning so that it makes sense when you actually show it. But it's like, I, you're right. I feel like they just were like, hey, here's a stone and uh, grants your wishes, but watch out for the monkey's paw. And it was just like, you got to swallow that and keep watching the movie. What I didn't understand, too, was in the beginning of the film, they have that whole story where I think I'm blanking on her name, but there's that famous Amazonian and the, in the golden armor. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't they just tie it into, Oh, she had to stay back and fight because this trickster guy tricked men into thinking that Amazonians were the enemies. And that's why we had to flee. Again, I'm not here to rewrite the mythology, but you can tie it in. There's a, there's opportunities to tie this character right. in. And they tried to tie it into like they were like, oh, all the Roman emperors are seen holding it. Romulus is like on a coin holding it. I was like, why would you do that? Well, then like, they did it with like that's... they did it with Mayans too. They they did it the yeah. lamest thing, but they tied it back to history. I, this is my problem. I hate when they do that. They tie it back. Oh, every society's had this. Okay, then connect the thread. Don't just say they had the same thing. Yeah. connect the thread. Build, give us one more sentence, one more paragraph of explaining why that is. <laughs> 
So the whole Dreamstone thing, and as we said, the fact that uh, Max Lord decided to become the Dreamstone, what exactly that meant, it, it the, this movie has a message, and I appreciate it, what, what it's trying to say. At the same time, the way to get across that you need to work hard and, and work for what you earn I think there's an easier way to tell a corruption story than a magic wish stone. Yeah, the stone is it just it's pretty convoluted. It's pretty clear that it's just a screenwriting device like you said and it's like it's just not it's yeah, it's just not introduced well and then it's not explained well. And so for that to be sort of the key turning, you know, the functionality of your movie is all based on that stone. It's kind of like it's not exactly the Maltese Falcon or something. It's not exactly a, a memorable one, you know. Not even an infinity stone, which in its yeah, exactly, yeah, which in its just the bird's eye view, it's should be the same thing. It is a magic stone, that's what right. it is. But they explain at least what the infinity stones are generally, and then you can move on. And there, yeah, there's like whole backstories to those stones, and people, you know, there's all you're right, they're, they're introduced early in movies, and then they're like talked about in awe and stuff. And so it's like you get you have more of a sense of those stones than I do of this stone. So you're right, okay. Uh, we, we've been ripping this movie pretty hard. Do we want to talk about some of the things we liked, or were there things we did like? Sure, uh, I, I, I will say, oh, I think first. the thing the thing I like the most, I think, is that Gal Gadot. Uh, it was just sort of like steady in terms of like I can continue to watch her as Wonder Woman. I felt like she actually of all the actors, uh, you know, Pascal and Wig and Pine. I had I kind of had a, a few grumbles about, but it's like I didn't really have any problems with Gal Gadot. And it's like if you're gonna be acting as Wonder Woman, I think she's doing as close of a job as to like making her interesting and uh, sort of like watchable as anyone can. Like I don't think it's that complex a character. But I do think it's like there's enough there for her to go on. Uh, and I think she did a good job with it. It's like she's an interesting actress to watch while she's doing it. I agree. I, I think I know what you're trying to say about Godot and the Wonder Woman role. It's not too dissimilar, I think, from Captain America or Superman. It's the person. Yeah, I think person. It's, Superman was kind of the one I was thinking of. Yeah. It's hard. It's, yeah. it's hard to make that – it's hard to connect with that character, or it can be. I think – and the what what Marvel did, or I think what Chris Evans did, Captain America is he used they use humor, and he's able to be confident and cool and strong and still vulnerable, and that's really hard to do. I think Gal Gadot does a great job with both those aspects as well. I think she is she owns this role of Wonder Woman in my mind. She like fully owns yeah. the Wonder Woman role. I think she's great in it. She carries the movie much in the same way as I think a lot of the early MCU films are carried by whether it was Chris Hemsworth in Thor or Chris Evans in Captain America or Edward Norton in Incredible Hulk. The, the, what, what surprised me about this movie was the first film I thought was one of the best in the comic book films. And yet the second film, and it seemed to learn a lot. It took a lot of the best parts from other films, which I don't blame it for, but it seemed to be really aware of the comic book space. And this film almost took a step back. It reminded me of these really early MCU films where yeah. it's just relying on a core performance, some chemistry, and then like humor act and humor action and hoping that the sum is greater, hoping that it'll be greater than the sum of its parts. And so I really liked Godot and with her, I liked her chemistry with Pine. But like I said, it 
everything was rehashed from the first one. There wasn't really anything new for those characters, but th- that was something I didn't like. But yeah, I agree. But it's like it's like she kind of got me through the movie more than anyone else. I want to say exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. She's the she, yeah, she's the guiding light. She, she she pulls you through at the end. Yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, I was like, eh, it wasn't the greatest movie, but like, if she's in a Wonder Woman 3, it's like, sure. Like, she owns that character the way Downey owns Iron Man or, or, or you know, Evans owns Captain America. Some of those other Marvel characters could probably get recast and people wouldn't notice, but it's like certain characters are now owned by certain actors. And I think for Gal, it's like she owns this character more so than Affleck with Batman or, you know, even Super- like she owns the character more than any of those other actors in the DC universe right now. They need to actually build their next phase or whatever yeah. around her character, whatever they call it. She really, her and Aquaman it should be them, and they should rehire yeah. Cavill. That, but all right, uh, it seems like we both like the humor. Uh, I mean, at least the action sequences. I, I think it was a step back from the first movie again. I thought the first movie had some of the better action sequences I've seen, but again, it was good. It, it had what I wanted. It, it had enough of it. Checked the boxes for me in terms yeah. of those elements. And the one thing I want to quickly note on note here is the, the movie is trying to, the movie has a message. Not all, I think not all films do certainly not all superhero films do, but as we said, this film has a clear message is trying to get across. Don't take the easy way out. You need to work, work for what work hard for what you want. And I think that's a good, and that's a good timely message. I just think it's not executed properly. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to give it effort for trying to do something different. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of the decisions, I think a lot of its problems, the film's problems stem from this decision to try and do things differently. And, and from a sense of, oh, we're just going to do it differently instead of actually mapping it out and realizing what happened. Because there's, I don't think there's a real villain in this film. It's, uh, it's this magic stone, which is really just the personifies people's desires. And yeah. so everyone is a good guy and a hero in this film. And that's kind of, and that's well, there's actually one. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna go. What did you think of the Reagan portrayal? And they don't ever say Reagan's name. They only call him Mr. President, but it's clearly a Ronald Reagan situation. I thought the same thing I thought about the rest of the film. It was just bland. It was just bland and goofy. Well, like I, it, it was... I, I think that I mean that was the one part of the movie where I wondered if they were making a political commentary and saying that Reagan. Uh, sort of wanted everyone to indulge in their, you know, capitalistic desires. And so that whole scene where he's like, I want more and more nukes and all that. And I was like, are they making a statement about MAGAs right now? I think, yeah, I think you're looking too hard into the film for politics okay. when it's, I mean, it's called Wonder Woman 1984 and the bad guy's a magic stone. Uh, yes, it, it is a treat. There, That's the comment on the 80s. I don't think there, it's necessarily a critique of Reagan. And if okay. it is, I don't think we should be diving into those waters. I don't think we're okay. qualified enough to be really diving into those waters. Uh, but there, it's certainly a co- commentary on the greed of the 80s and that greed is good culture. I mean, that's there's yeah, no doubt yeah. about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, like it's trying to be different. And then at the end, at the end of the day, it just I think it kind of fails because, as we said, the movie doesn't have a central villain, really. Max Lord is also the hero of the film when he decides to renounce and we see Cheetah decide to renounce her powers, although we never fully explain what they were, how she got them, why did she want to be a Cheetah? There, there's so many just half-baked or unfinished plots. It, it, just, it was... Uh, it begs belief. That, yeah. 
that whole part too where Gal Gadot like asked the whole world to renounce their wishes and it's like I don't know if you're getting 100% on that Wonder Woman like maybe a couple but like some of those people aren't going to renounce anything <laughs> well speaking of that wasn't she supposed to be this mysterious figure who no one had ever seen and right, yeah. and I'm sorry I, she may have knocked out the uh, the cameras at the White House but something <laughs> tells me they have her files if she attacked the White House and also this super secret installation and she's yeah, to the true. entire world like and she also has powers in this film that she hasn't exhibited in the future like the invisibility or flying so uh, there's some weird things going on you're right it's like if you have those powers then why didn't you have them later you're, yeah you're totally right i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not gonna again this is com- comic book films <laughs> not not gonna crush it too hard but again these are comic books that are allowed to be silly, but they shouldn't yeah. be stupid. And like a lot yeah. of this film is just, and I say stupid as in it's not thought out, and the, or the logic crumbles on itself within the film. It's easy to look really close at any one aspect of this movie and just kind of pick it apart. I think it's like, it's best watched, uh, you know, not as a close viewing. It's just kind of like enjoying it for what it is. Because <laughs> as soon as you start watching it too closely, you're going to start... Uh, uh, I'm threading everything with it. <laughs> All right. Well, here, here's my question. I have a couple questions for you. Okay. First, did Brooklyn see this? Um, when I watched it, I was considering sure. I think she would have gotten really bored about an hour into it. So then I considered maybe just kind of showing her the opening couple action scenes and then just seeing when she gets bored. But I don't think she'd be able to make it all the way through. Well, how about this? Did Kelly like the film? Um... She was kind of, you know, so-so on it. I think she was like, yeah, I think she was like, oh, I like the first one more. All right, because I was going to say, I I realized that this film, these films are also made for women, so I was curious to see what, and kids, so I was curious what they thought. Another question. Where, what do you want next for Gal Gadot? Do you think she's like a genre franchise actress? Do you want to see her doing more uh, meaty stuff? Maybe get some awards looks? What are you thinking? I think she's ripe for like, um... Like, I like that she has her, her franchise, you know, temple thing going on here. But if I was going to, you know, if I was her agent, I'd be like, let's get you into, like, kind of a more seductive thriller kind of thing. You know, like, in the 90s, Michael Douglas would release a movie every year where he was, like, have, you know, Fatal Attraction or Basic Insane. It's like, I feel like Gal Gadot could pull off the kind of, you know, she's uh, she's sexy, she's in a relationship, maybe there's uh, some cheating going on, maybe there's some violence. Uh, I think she could be in, you know, some adult fare like that. Oh, I like that. Okay. Um, sign me up for that movie, Mr. Producer. <laughs> um, I am... I think I'm ready for final scores, unless you have any questions for me. Uh, last question is, what are you hoping for Wonder Woman 3? I've heard Patty Jenkins, Gal Gadot already signed on. Any hopes, any wishes? So this is what I'll say for for Wonder Woman three. I'm willing to give this film a pass because I like the first one, and as I said, I think it's trying to do some things differently, for better or worse. I don't care what you do in the next film, but have it be tighter, and have it be more focused. I think this film you could have had it. You could have with a better edit cut down twenty minutes off this film. And I think just made it more enjoyable through that film. I just want a tighter film that, and also have more fun with the comic book aspect. This film, for being the second film in this expanding universe, you only had two characters, and only one of them is really 
comic booky, and that's Cheetah, and that's not until the very last 20 minutes. So uh, have more fun with the yeah. comic book space. You don't need to make it a silly – it doesn't need to be like a 90s comic book cartoon with heroes all over the place or like an Avengers film with a dozen heroes, but have more fun with the characters, with this great lore. Like bring more characters we know in. Have more fun with it. That's what I would say. I agree. I would. I think my one thing would be like, let's cut Chris Pine loose. Like you, you brought him back. You let him go again. I don't think you can bring him back a third time. So. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. I think that I got worried. Maybe I got, got a new love interest or something. The first red flag for me for this film was when I heard they were bringing Chris Pine back. Because to me, that that meant that he was one of the best parts of the first film, and you don't think you have enough for a second film, you, or you're scared to try and build new a new relationship with that character. I don't know. It just seems to me she should be able to have a different love interest at different times of her life. I mean, it's not that, I mean, I don't know. Is she that attached to him that she can't have a relationship with another man? That's what years I, later? I, again, I just thought, yeah, it, it, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> All right. Do you want to do final scores? Yeah. Um, I'll go first. For me, sure. this film, I'm going to give it a 6.4. The way I look at this film is the first film had like a sweet earnestness, and I think it's devolved into straight up like saccharine melodrama in this film. It's everything that worked in the first film that's hard to pull off. This film yeah. just was lacking, and it just lacked that deft touch, and everything that felt on the point and resonant with all the sentimentality in the first film and it could have been i think it was over sentimental i thought it was sentimental wonder woman 1984 is over sentimental and it just and so for me i'm giving it a six four it's among the better it 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 goes above the low bar of dceu films i agree yeah so I think I'm going to come in right in the middle at a 5.0. Uh, it's not a great movie by any means. It's not a horrible movie by any means. It was like kind of, like you said, it is what I thought it was. Um, I, it's like for DC, I think it's like a little above average. For comic book movies, like overall, I think it's a little below average maybe. Um, it's a, it was a, I got enough out of Gal Gadot and stuff that I like, I'll probably give the third one a shot at least. Um, but like, it's just like, you know, there's problems with the movie. It's easy to pick apart. Uh, the, the central stone thing, I think, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest gripe. <laughs> um, but, you know, the uh, the action sequences, I did really like the opening sequence for just, like, how cinematic it was and the, the, the way it was shot and the colors and everything. I honestly wanted more time there, so maybe they'll take me back to the Amazonians one day. But I'm coming in at a 5.0. Okay, Wow. You're a little harsher than I thought you'd be, Seth. <laughs> okay. My man. Um, 6.4 and a 5.0. I feel like that's... Uh, we're within the same range-ish. Yeah, that's what it should be. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. One last note. This is what I... I, I this, this is what upset me about this film. For being... For, ha for being the second film in the franchise, for being Wonder Woman's fourth in the overall universe... And for how much power I thought they had coming into this film, given the success of the first one and where they where it stands within the importance of the franchise and the studio, I was surprised by how few risks it took. Yeah, true. And especially with the story, 
we've talked about this with other films and I'm blanking on which ones, but it was a film that didn't want to have villains and, and that can end up two ways. It can be, it can end up where a film, everyone feels like the villain or no one feels like the villain. And this one, no one felt like the villain. And it kinds of robbed, it, I think it robs the movie of some serious tension or at least the focal point of a story that it needs to, to put right. it off of. But Also, if you're trying to build Cheetah as the main rival, like you said, it's like, you should be doing that. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, it just, so that's what I'll say. So for the next film, take some risks. Surprise me. That, that's what I'll say. Agreed. All right. All right. <laughs> I think that does it for Wonder Woman. You want to bid her adieu, my friend? Goodbye, Wonder Woman. See you in 1985.